Sonia and Sasha, for real. Oh, you're listening to Live FM on Brimbank Live. This is the Sonia and Sasha for Real Show. It's our favorite day, Sasha. It's Friday. Welcome back. And guess what? Best news ever. Oh, what? children are back at school. <laughs> I've lost about 80 kilos. <laughs> oh, I feel thinner. I do feel thinner. Do you know? Can I just we are tell thinner. You? You're not going to believe this, Sonia. There is nothing on my kitchen table. Nothing. Shh, not a script. Oh. Nothing. You're not going to find it. I've even moved the kitchen table back to where it's original spot, and that is in what? the middle of the kitchen. Well, there are no cups with pencils in it. Nope. There is no paper on it. I could not wait. Yes. Like the minute they said homeschool was over, I cleared that table. Off you go, kid. <laughs> Figure something else out. Another place to learn because you're not learning in this house anymore. <sighs> ever, ever again. Ever again. For the love like, of God. Ever, oh, ever again. Oh. You we know? are so happy that that's finally finished. Thank the Lord we are okay. done with that section of our lives. People are going to think that we're religious here, but let me tell you now. <laughs> I know, it was right? a lot of Jesus-y stuff there, oh, sorry. There is a lot of Je- no, there is a lot of Jesus-y stuff, but guess what we're not doing? We're not going to that cathedral this year. That's another, that's another. Oh, oh no, Christmas carols. It keeps on yeah, getting, Christmas it just keeps getting better, doesn't it? It is doing it. Well, you know, but this was the this was my young and Jackson's year, so down for that one. Anyway, now, Sonia, let's just look at this okay we dropped off the kids yesterday and yes. here we are we're talking like we're big shot mamas that you know kitchen tables all clean did not do the dishes throughout the day yesterday it was a great Rebel. day but guess what? what i rang you i dropped my kids to finish start school earlier and i rang you crying because yes, it was it so like it was just like i felt so sad to let go of these kids like it was like the first day of school I drove them to school. It was a great morning getting them ready and dropped them off at school. And there was balloons out the front. It was, you mm-hmm. know, there was big welcome back signs. All the school banners and all that sort of stuff was out. All the teachers mm-hmm. were out on the streets. I mean, it was like sports day on crack, right? <laughs> it was absolutely, it was just so full on. And I dropped those kids out and I thought that I would have kicked them out, but I didn't. I got out of the car with my Uggs on, of course. And I got out of the car. Well, I'm not putting on shoes, don't you worry. My feet can't handle it. Got up, And I yeah. gave them a big hug and got back in the car and literally tears just started rolling down my for two things because it's almost like, you know that moment when you survive something? Mm-hmm. You know, like when you fall down and you don't cry and then someone comes up and says, are you right? Oh, I just fell down. I just fell down. That moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And That's exactly how I felt You had well. that feeling too. Yeah, I did because it was beautiful. We had the head of the school sit standing out in the roundabout waving as everyone came, you know, going around the roundabout and dropping their kids off. We had balloons and the teachers were all out. There was a big welcome back sign. You know, it was just a beautiful thing. And it was right. I did feel a sense of accomplishment that we'd come through a really hard time and now it was time to send the, the little babies off again. And so, yeah, we did get a bit emotional, didn't we? And then I was driving to my first live gig that I've had for months and months, which, which is I'm in Ballarat. I'm so jealous about. Like, you saw oh, people. It, you saw oh, people. I saw, yes, who weren't my family and randos in the supermarket. It was oh. so good. I actually had a permit signed by the school. It was all a ready. Permit. And then I had to get up to the, and I was You're on the, the Queen phone of with you Melbourne, at the time. Aren't and I had you? To, with your permit. I left Melbourne. Like, I was outside. You're Outside just waving of five around permit, waving around your I know. Permit, I was like bragging queen. hardcore. Yeah, I know. I was bragging. And then I get to the checkpoint and I told you I'm nervous, Sasha. I'm really nervous. It's like you when you go to the airport, to right, and you wonder, you go to the airport and you're about to go through the scanner and you think, yeah. did I put a gun on myself this morning? I don't think <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. Or you get the sniffer dogs come up and go, I don't put any cocaine in my yeah. bag. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any weapons of choice here, nothing. Tell I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I don't have a bag of cocaine. And so and I went to the got to the checkpoint and went down my 
window and there was this lovely uh, police officer lady there and she said, uh, excuse me, do you do seminars in schools? I was like, yeah, I do. And she said, you came to my school and did a seminar. And I was like, are you serious? And she said, yeah, with Sasha. And I said, I'm on the phone with Sasha right now. You got to say hello to her. She looked at my license and said, are you doing one of your talks in Ballarat? I said, yep, I am. She said, off you go. Oh. And it was just, it was like the universe was opening up the, the pathway for me to have the best day ever. It was so good. Loved that it. That is Loved so every second of cool. It. That is really, really good. Now you we have a we massive have show. Huge. Massive show. Massive show, which we yes. always do. But this one's like we have gonna we're not only we're gonna talk to an inspirational person, but we're gonna teach somebody yes. something. And it's not the teaching something segment. This is like something for real that we really all need to know, not just ourselves, but also our um our young people really need to know. And that we've got someone from Hepatitis Victoria. Now most people will yes. say, What do I need to know about this? But as much as we've we've delved into this and Sonia and I are I'm not gonna put myself down as a hepatitis expert, but you know, I've watched a few YouTube clips which pretty much puts me down as a doctor in hepatitis world. Right. Correct. And now um, tell us who else we've got, Cornell Thomas. And we've got Cornell Thomas. And this is just such an interesting guy. He ran he runs a positivity summit and he did that in different locations around the world pre-COVID and and, and read all speakers coming up and while and while he's got that he's coming out to speak to us and telling us um, all about it yeah one of them is a is a guy who's interviewed all the cast of power so 50 cent and mary oh. j blige and like he's got stories for days and this guy there. you just feel more positive when you talk mm. to this guy he actually just makes you feel a lot better about the world so we've got a massive show so we better get on with it we'll see you after the break here on brimbank live live fm on the sonia sasha Premier show thanks for joining us Sonia and Sasha, for real. Thank you for joining us on the Sonia and Sasha for Real show. You're on Live FM on Brimbank Live and we have the most special guest who we kind of found in a bit of a different way, Sasha, I think, once I explain the story to you. But we have from our home. There's no different way at all. We're stalkers. That's what we are. We're stalkers. We'll find (laughs) you. Well, let's just say it like it is, right? That's right. We'll say it how it is. (laughs) I was trying to zhuzh it up a bit. Now you've done. No, no, no. no. You're correct. We stalk people. Isn't our show called For Real? It is called For Real and you are right. I am CIA level at stalking, I've got to tell (laughs) you. So we've got this fantastic guest with us and it's it's from our home. So this is part of our New York Minute segment that we have on a very regular basis on our Sonia and Sasha For Real show. But this one is really special. So Cornell Thomas. It runs an international positivity summit. Don't we need some of that right now? He is an international speaker. Mm-hmm. He's an entrepreneur. He is an author of several books, and he'll tell us about the latest several. one, which sounds very cool. And a business coach and a basketball coach. He's also. What else is he? What else is he? He must have a resume that's coming out of the sky. The way that you've got this um, going, Sonia. We are well, so excited to be able to meet him right now. Yes, please welcome to the show, Cornell Thomas. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. What a beautiful introduction. I appreciate it, ladies. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming along. Oh, all the way from Jersey. 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 New Jersey. Yes. Uh, See, people always do that accent, right? And that's like black people don't sound like that in New Jersey. Okay. (laughs) All right. Do white people sound like that in New Jersey? No one sounds like that in New Jersey. (laughs) Do you know what? Well, that was an Australian slash Jersey accent. Yeah. But it's all good. Do you know what was just so interesting when we actually crossed the border? Like we literally just crossed it, you know, got a train and went into Jersey one day and we could not believe how different the accent mm-hmm. was straight away. 
Yeah. From New York to well, Jersey. We're, we're different. Like we're, we might be next to New York and there, that's where the similarity stops outside of us all being human beings. Uh, New Jersey is a different vibe. Like it's just, New York is so like so quick and so busy and so hustle bustle. Like you have that in some cities in New Jersey, but for the most part, like it's called the garden state for a reason. Like you have city, you have beach, you have suburb, you have like a little bit of country. Like there's everything in this small state called New Jersey. Oh, beautiful. So we've got this incredible guy on so here. Tell us all tell about, us about you run. Tell us all about so what interesting, you're doing, yeah. the Positivity Summit. Yeah, oh. It's international. We've got guests sure. from all over the world. I listened to the last one. I, I took part in the last one as a as a um as a listener, and it was so great. It was just it made you feel so good. There's people that had no ego whatsoever, and they were just sharing their experiences, mm. and you know, giving us a bit of light in this in this sort of a fairly dark time that we're going through at the moment. So can you tell us about where the idea came from and all about the summit? Yeah, thank you. So Sonia summed it up very well. They're, the speakers that I bring to the Positivity Summit, my idea for it was, I just want a bunch of people with no agenda sharing their stories. And in those stories, mm. people will see the commonalities that we have amongst ourselves. Because if you watch TV, which I don't, but if you watch the news, you would think that we just have all differences and nothing that kind of bonds us. And the one thing that bonds us is adversity. If you've been on the earth for longer than you know a year, you've been through some type of adverse situation. So when I bring speakers in, I'm very fascinated with people's stories. So I know that the speakers that I bring in at some point in time, our stories are gonna all line up. At some point we went through this, we did this to get through it. We might still be going through something, but this is how we were able to kind of push past it a little bit. So the Positivity Summit was created. I was at a uh, Tony Robbins event in 2015. A friend of mine gifted me a ticket. And this is when I was only like two years into speaking. And I was at the event. I'm like, oh, the event's cool. Like, it's cool. Like, you know, there's a lot of people. There's like a lot of good energy. But the price tag and just like it was more like, a, you know, pump up, you know, like rah, rah, like motivation event where people are dancing around and chest bumping and like listening to bad techno music. And I was like, well, I love the energy of the event. The energy is dope and Tony's a good guy. I said, but I want to run an event where it's not just for people that have a lot of money. I want to run an event where I have a millionaire sitting next to someone that doesn't have a hundred dollars in their pocket. I want to run something affordable where we're not just having me speak like, and not saying Tony does, but like not just hearing my voice the whole entire time. I want people from all over the world to share their stories because my whole thing, I think one of the reasons that I was put on this earth is to connect people and to let people realize like we all have purpose. So that's why the, that's how the positivity started. Summit started. And my first one was in New Jersey. We had like 35 people. And then we did one in New York. We did one in LA, one in England. And then we've done a virtual one that Sonia went to recently. And then our next one is uh, this month, October 23rd and 24th. We're doing another virtual one. But being able to travel all these different places and see all these unique, just super amazing people, it like, it fills me up. It just, it blows my mind that I'm part of this. And, you know, I've created something where people are coming together and just not worried about who you voted for or any of the political nonsense. People are they're just showing up, being themselves with no ego and just loving one another. The thing that I like what you said was two things that just sparked my mind was one, there's no agenda. 
because a lot of the time when we go to these seminars, it's there's there's like, I'm going to tell you about me. So then you'll buy my product or then you'll join my seminar and then you'll buy my book and blah, 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 blah. So they're almost like when you've heard five speakers, you've, you've come out and you need to spend another 10 grand to even learn the next stage. So the fact mm. that you're even saying that makes it feel like I know that I'm going to come to your your positivity summit i'm going to get something out of that and then whether i choose to go forward or do something else is a completely different agenda and the other thing was the fact that you're here to connect people that's one of the things that sonia and i just it's such an important core value to who we are because we just go around the world connecting people all the time so when you're able to yeah. connect people with great stories that's just awesome yeah and you're for me and again i don't knock how speakers do their thing I don't sell from stage because it takes away from the message, right? Mm -hmm. So like, if I'm telling you this story about um, something that I went through at the end of the story, and then I use these five steps for my coaching program mm -hmm. that you can buy for $99.99, you're like, bro, <laughs> is any of this story even real? Like, yeah. did you just yeah. say that story to set me up for this coaching program? So I tell yeah. my speaker specifically, if you wanna be part of this, you can't sell from stage. Now, if it's a live event, you can set up a booth in the back, do your thing. I will tell people to go there, but I mm. want you to share you. I don't want you to share what you do. Mm. Yeah. So you said that, uh, you know, when you're standing on stage and you say something that I've been through, you have actually been through something that was quite terrible at the time. I'm sure you would have really struggled with mm. that, but you've managed to turn it into something great. Can you tell us about what happened when you were just about to go and live your, probably what you would have called your dream at the, at the time yeah. in playing professional basketball in Europe? Tell us what happened there. Yeah, I ha I'd have to go back a little bit because it's very important for when I tell that story, it's very important for people to realize the context of it. So who I am is centered around who my mom was and who she is now. So there's no me at all without my mom. Tina Thomas, I always say Tina Thomas the Great. Like she's the one that helped implant this like craziness in my mind that I can get through anything, right? That I can push through things. So my father passed when I was four years old. Uh, he passed from cancer, he's a police officer in Pasek, mm -hmm. New Jersey, where we're from. And when he passed away, he left my mom uh, with the task of raising five kids on her own with like no money. Wow. So I watched my mom from four up until, you know, 18 work, three jobs, take care of five kids, take us from the inner city to a better area just so we can get a, an education and never put her head in her hands and give up, never put her head in the hands and say, I can't do this. You know, my mom is, I always say, I said, mom, you're this five foot two and a quarter lioness. You know, you're stronger than any man or woman I've ever met in my life. Yeah. So when I, I didn't, not having a father, I didn't have anyone put a basketball in my hand and say, hey, this is what you should do. You might be pretty tall or whatever. Um, it wasn't until I was 16 years old that I discovered basketball. I had a cousin in Virginia. His name was Carlos Taylor, and he enlisted in the Army. I had no idea that he played sports. I had no idea that he was this big-time athlete, but one day, I was sitting on his bed and I looked under his bed and he had all these newspaper articles, hundreds. And it was, I saw a picture of him. And before that time, I didn't really play organized sports. So I didn't know they put kids in the newspaper, you know, for basketball or sports or whatever. And here's my cousin, like dunking a basketball. So I started freaking out. Like 16 is a like awkward age for dudes, like for, you know, guys and girls. But for me, I was at a stage where 
I didn't have any identity up until that point. People just knew me as, oh, that's so-and-so's little brother. Like there was nothing that I had a stamp on. You know, like some kids are like, oh, this kid's like super funny or this kid's like good at sports or this kid's a great dancer. I didn't have that. So when I saw my cousin in the newspaper, I said to myself, well, maybe this can be the thing that I do where people will know me for something because I felt kind of not invisible. Like I had friends and stuff, but I felt like I didn't have, like no one knew me for anything. And I wanted to, I wanted to change that. So this is around the time where MC Hammer, the rapper was out. So I had like, you know, one of those high top haircuts. Oh like yeah. yeah. Haircuts. And the balloon pants. I had like the blue, I had two pair. I had two pair. Oh of yeah. Pants. Oh, you were a rich kid <laughs> um, then. Two pair. Oh no, no. Full commitment. Oh no, no, no. It was, it was commitment. And like my mustache barely grew in. So I was struggling. I was in a lot of friend zones. The girls were not feeling me at that time at all. So uh, my mom drove us back home and I found this little basketball in our basement. And I said, uh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to play basketball. So I, I grabbed the basketball. I walked three miles to the nearest court. I went to the hoop. I threw the ball up. The ball went over the hoop and rolled down the hill. And I did that for about two more hours. <laughs> and I realized that I sucked at basketball. Like, like I'm terrible. Like, it's not enough to just be tall and black. Like, you got to actually be able to, like, play basketball. <laughs> so while I was sitting there, this, like, little five-foot-eight Filipino guy came walking to, to the court. And he said, uh, my name is Ray. Do you want me to show you how to shoot a basketball? And when I tell people that story and when I go to schools or companies, whatever, people laugh at the visual of this five foot eight Filipino guy showing this six foot four and a half, six foot five black dude, like how to shoot a basketball. Yeah, and because you're people, not, say, you're not five foot two, like Tina Thomas. You're not five foot oh, two, no. like Tina Thomas the Great. You're I'm like the double what mum is. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm 10 foot four. Like I'm, I'm a tall guy. <laughs> like I got height. And, uh, and so uh, when Ray, but what Ray did when he left after showing me how to shoot a basketball, I was still very bad, but he planted this seed in my head that if I work at this, I can get better. And that changed the course of my life. Like that moment with him, I only saw him three times in my life. That moment changed the course of my life because I had the work ethic because my mom, you know, she was the epitome of what, what work ethic is. So I decided to dedicate myself to basketball and it wasn't just to, you know, be famous or get a girl. My dedication now was play professional basketball so my mom never has to work again. Aww. You know, I was sick of seeing her struggle. So I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it for her. You know, I'm gonna mm -hmm. make it like no matter what, you know, so my mom could, you know, sit down and relax. And, you know, my junior year of high school, my, you know, I was in 11th grade, you know, I got cut from the, from the main team. My senior year, I barely played on the main team. And then uh, after high school, my mom sat me down and she said, baby boy, she goes, I can't afford to send you to college. And that was the first time in my life that I've heard my mom say can't, like the first time. So mm. when she said that, it like hit me harder than anything. Cause I'm like, if, if my mom is saying she can't, we're in a dire situation. Like this, is, yeah. this isn't good. And so I said, mom, I said, I'm gonna take two years off from high school. I'm gonna work two jobs. I'm going to go to a two-year school, which is cheaper. And then I'll, I'll get a scholarship from that school to play at a four-year school. And my mom looked at me and she said, okay. She said, all right, do it. And that's what I did. I took a, you know, like a year and a half off. I worked two jobs. I got enough money to pay for a junior college, we call them the States, a junior college, a two-year college. And my, by my sophomore year, after four years of being you know, horrible, 
it finally clicked. And when people saw me play my sophomore year, they're like, what in the hell happened? Like you were cut from the varsity team. I said, well, I put six, seven hours a day into basketball. Like I didn't go to junior prom or senior prom. Like I watched limousines drive past the court while I was shooting outside to go to prom. So I was willing to sacrifice what I like in order to get what I love. And a lot of people aren't. A lot of people talk, you know, they talk about, oh, I'll do this for this. I, no, you won't. Like, you're not really about the life that you're saying that you want. Because if you were, you'd realize you have to put that in front of so many things to even be semi-proficient at what you want in life. So uh, I started just working out, training. I got a full scholarship to play in North Dakota, which I was just, like, I'd never been in North Dakota before in my life. We never had the means to travel. And so I uh, played in North Dakota, came back home. I started working out with NBA guys and um, guys I saw on TV in here I am like seven years removed from getting cut from the varsity team. And uh, I'm sitting there and uh, my agent emails me. And this is back in the days when we had like AOL. So like to, to read an email takes like nine days because <laughs> it was so slow. We like dial up, dial up internet, right? So like every line would come out like then four hours later. And so my agent, my agent emails me and says, Cornell, you got a contract to play in Lisbon, Portugal in their top division you have to go and you have to go in two weeks so i'm seven years removed from like playing basketball starting to play basketball i have a contract play professional basketball i literally i cannot make this up i went downstairs i told my mom (laughs) i got a contract to play professional basketball my mom looked me dead in my face and she goes that's great baby what do you want for dinner (laughs) i was like i don't think you understand what i just said like i got a contract to play professional basketball. And later on, I realized that this woman believed in me so much in her mind. She was like, of course you got a contract to play professional basketball. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. what else would happen? You know, like that's how much belief. Like when I talk about it, I get choked up because the faith that she had in me, she believed in me more than I believed in myself at that time. And, mm-hmm. and I always tell people, if anybody believes in you more than you believe in yourself, it's going to be hard for your dream to happen. Like you got to be your biggest cheerleader. Like you have to believe in yourself more than anybody. Like Mm -hmm. now I believe in myself even more than my mom believes in me, which is saying a lot. So I'm a week away from going and, you know, fulfilling this dream that I thought I was supposed to fulfill. I thought, thought this was my purpose, right? Be a basketball player. And I was out with some friends just shooting around and we started playing three on three and I go to the basket and I hear a pop fall on the ground my friends come running over they go to help me up uh, I try to put weight on my right foot and I can't put any weight on my right foot and so I get myself to the hospital I drag my foot up to the emergency room and I'm not calling my mom because if I call my mom that means whatever has just happened is real so I'm trying my best not to call my mom I finally call my mom we were like 40 minutes away from the from the hospital she got there in 10 I don't know who she killed on the way over there <laughs> but my mom got there in 10 minutes And the doctor said, Cornell, I'm sorry, but you ruptured your Achilles tendon. And so at that time in 2002, that's a year injury, right? So that that happened on a Sunday. I was supposed to leave that next Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. To this day, I can't remember. Thursday morning, they wheeled me in for surgery. Thursday afternoon, they wheeled me out with a hard cast from the middle of my thigh to the end of my foot. And then on Friday morning, my mom's kissing me on my forehead and I'm watching her walk to one of the three jobs. I told her she'd never have to work again. And that to that date was the hardest. It was the hardest moment of my life 
because I felt like I like let this woman down. Like all this woman, like her only dream and purpose in life was making sure that we were raised the right way. And I couldn't get that done. And so I'm going through, you know, I'm in my room by myself. There's no one in the house and I'm going through all these five stages, right? Like they talk about when you get these five stages, like you, there's some monumental change that you have to do, right? And there's anger, there's denial, there's anger, there's bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And I'm going through all those five stages almost at once. And I'm in that fourth stage of depression where I'm like cursing the heavens. You know, like, God, like, why would you, do? I don't drink, I don't smoke, I'm nice to people. Like, all I want to do is help this woman not struggle. And this is what happens. And I started to think about my mom. I started thinking about how we grew up and how sometimes we come home, the lights would be cut off because we couldn't pay the bill. And my mom would walk in the house, literally not break a stride and just start lighting candles and handing out flashlights. Or we wouldn't have hot water. And my mom would take the cold water, boil it, put it in the bathtub, mix it, and we take baths. Like this woman was about solutions and not problems. And here I am about the problem. And if you spend all your time on the problem, you have no more time left for the solution. So I started saying like, okay, well, what's next? Because you, there's two things you can do when, when shit hits the fan, right? Like you can be a why me person or you can be a what now person. And there's a lot of why me people mm -hmm. all over the earth, right? There are a lot of why, we see it. A lot of people are just, why me? Why is this happening to me? Why? Instead of saying, no, well, what now? Because when adversity happens, it's already in the past as soon as it happens. The words I'm saying, they're already in the past. The beginning of this interview is already in the past. As soon as you get to that point and pass it, it's there. It's in your rear view. So now the only thing you can do is look forward. I mean, you can look back and reflect, but what is that going to do in terms of you moving forward? So I called my best friend up, my buddy Kevin. I said, hey, man, pick me up on Monday morning. We're going to the gym. And he sounded like I died because the people that were close to me, my, my inner circle, he was like, Cornell, what are we going to do? I said, just pick me up. And for the next six months, I shot from a chair. Now, that did nothing for my basketball game, but that did everything for my mindset, right? That did everything for me mentally, for me to get out of my room and move. And when people are going through stuff, I tell them, are you on your couch? And they're like, well, yeah, but on my couch for three days. I'm like, well, that's the problem. Get up, go for a walk, get out your freaking house. Like you gotta move, mm -hmm. right? I know people talk about stillness and it's true. There's times you need to be still, but when stuff hits the fan, there's sometimes where you just have to get up and just walk, Go. get up and just be outside. Get oh, up and do I love something. this. I don't even want to interrupt you, but we have to, to go to a break. Oh, now, please stick around because we are so invested in this. We're like locked in. Sasha and I are going, all right, yeah. we've got to go for a break, but we don't want to stop him yeah. because it's really good. So just um, please stay, stick around. Will you tell us the rest of this after the after the break? And of then course, we want to talk about course. the Positivity Summit and who you've got. You've got some fascinating people who'll be. Mm. We'll see you back in a minute. Sonia and Sasha, for real. Welcome back to the Sonia and Sasha for real show. Bring back live on Live FM. We have our big friend of the show now, we'd have to say, Cornell Thomas, all the way from New Jersey. And he's been telling us about his Positivity Summit and the, the reason why this all began years and years ago was a, was a what you describe on your website as being a career-ending injury that happened. And then you came mm. back from that and all of a sudden you've discovered that you had to find something else to focus on. Your purpose had to be something different. And so you've created this amazing event 
and you, you're speaking all over the world. You speak with university students and, and secondary school students. You do business coaching. Like you've turned this event that, you know, would have taken a lot of people down into a lifetime of, of helping people and, and making real change in the world. So a little bit more about the Positivity Summit, please. Can you tell us about a couple of, couple of the guests really stood out to me? One was a, a lady called Bree Leslie. Can you tell us a little bit about her? She'll be speaking at the summit on the 23rd and 24th of October. Yeah, Bree is amazing. She has um, a fight like a girl movement. So every speaker that is speaking uh, at the summit is, has started a movement or is a major part of a movement. So mm. Brie, um, I, I don't want to tell her whole entire story because it's just, a, it's amazing, but she's a survivor yeah. um, of an attack. And then she started this fight like a girl movement to empower women. Uh, and she is just, she's a beast. Like when I first saw her like post, I was like, okay, this is someone that I have to, at some point in time, I have to have her at one of the events because, you know, I have a daughter, you know, and uh, I love for my daughter to see like positive, strong, you know, women out there in the world. So uh, Bree, Bree's phenomenal. And then the second person is uh, that I thought was just stood out straight away. And that's because of um, my friend here, Sasha, who's obsessed with Fiddy Scent. Fiddy. Um, yeah, June Archer. June Archer. So he's an actor and he used to ha have a record label, yeah. but he does his, he's interviewed basically the entire cast of Power Book 2. Um, which is the yeah. sequel spin-off yeah. from Power, would you say? So I looked, I was looking at interviews with 50 Cent and Mary J. Blige and like all of these incredible people. So tell us about June. Yeah, June was actually the first speaker at our very first Positivity Summit. Oh, wow. So me and June go back away. Uh, June is just a great dude. He was in the entertainment industry. He uh, had his own band as an R&B singer and then eventually, you know, started producing records. And now he's working with the uh, power team as an interviewer, but he's a speaker, an author, just really dynamic, diverse uh, human being can do a little bit of everything. So now he's um, this 50 Cent has a show called This is 50 and June is the is the main host on that show. So he interviews all the cast, different music acts. And, um, you know, he people are going to be blown away by June. He's and he's actually our first speaker uh, on the uh, October 23rd, the day of the October 23rd uh, Positivity Summit. So how do we actually get tickets to this event? How do we get along? Because I think I need to be there. Are we going, Sonia? Yeah, I, oh, I, think, going. I think you in should fact, be there. Yeah, in fact, um, Cornell has been very generously uh, given us a ticket to give away. So uh, you need to like the posts that, uh, that are on our Instagram right now and we're going to choose a very lucky person to attend the summit and I was there it, it's it's crazy o'clock in the morning for us to listen to to you over here with, with the positivity summit but I actually put my headphones in and and uh, was listening as I was uh, you know getting falling some asleep. rest at the same time yeah falling asleep I yeah. did I fell asleep and in the morning I was just so positive I don't know yeah, what happened yeah. overnight I had all this yeah. well, <laughs> stuff you, in my head if you go to our website, if you go to cornell-thomas.com, uh, right on the front page, you can get tickets. Uh, this one is going to be recorded and sent to everybody that's in attendance. So if you are calling in, if you're checking in from Australia or Japan or, you know, one of these far off places where the time doesn't work, uh, you'll be able to go back and go through the whole entire summit. So 
Uh, I'm I'm super excited. And Sasha, I think we have to have you on here now. We have to have you oh, part of the Well, program. now that I know that I've, you've got Instagram and I can start to follow you on Instagram, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> right. I absolutely love Now, you've actually even done a TED Talk. Yeah. How did you get the TED Talk? Well, it's funny because this is a lesson in, you know, let your ego go to the side a little bit. So uh, like four years ago, I put in for a TED talk and I'm like, you know, I'm speaking, I, I just started, I think it was like, I just started speaking in England. And I, I mean, I was doing this professionally. So I'm like, oh, I'll do a TED talk. It's like half hour, 45 minutes away from my house. And I put in my information and didn't hear back. So I'm like, well, screw TED talks. Like whatever, <laughs> like, I don't need to do a TED talk. Like I'm doing this professionally anyway. And so uh, a year later and I, I put in one more thing and nothing and i'm like i'm done i'm done with these this is i don't care right i'm already doing what i what, what i love doing i don't need i don't need your ted talk i don't yeah. need you i don't need, you need, I don't need me. no ted talk yeah. <laughs> so um so about uh two years ago i saw one and it was like 45 minutes away and it's in new jersey and i'm like man i was like all right you know what? i'll do it one more time so i put my ego aside and put it in and uh, I, I heard back from the lady and she goes, you know, you know, we're, you know, we love your resume, blah, 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 blah. We love seeing your videos. And then I didn't hear from her for like two months. And the talk was on March and it was like the second week of February. And I still haven't heard back from her. And uh, I just messaged her. I was like, hey, am I speaking in three weeks? And she goes, oh, yeah, you're in. I was like, OK. So <laughs> so then I started. So then I you know, did my TED talk. And what people don't understand the lead up before the TED talk was crazy. I was in the hospital the day before that talk. Like no one knew, like, and again, I haven't really shared the story except for to anybody, but that, that week I had the positivity summit that weekend. So that TED talk was on a Tuesday. I was in the hospital on a Monday, did the TED talk on Tuesday. And then that Wednesday, a very, very close friend of mine uh, at the time uh, tried to take his life. So that was my week, right? And so, and then I had the positivity summit that same weekend. So when yeah. I went to do my talk or whatever it was, I just talked about the week, like what what happened. Uh, so it was just a, it was a roller coaster of emotion. Like my, if you look at the TED talk, I have this oversized jacket on and I have, you know, these clothes that I had at the bottom of my closet because four days before there's this major snowstorm and it knocked out all the power in my town and all my clothes were in the dry cleaners. <laughs> so all this stuff happened, <laughs> like literally wow. the 10 days. It, it was just absolutely crazy. And then I did the TED talk and I, when I was in the hospital, I told the doctor, I said, if I want to run a marathon tomorrow, could I? And he goes, yeah. I was like, cool. Cause I told everybody, I was like, I, I, my close family, I said, I'll die on that stage. I don't care. Like I'm, I'm going to do that TED talk. I don't care what happens. Like I'm going to do it. <laughs> and so I went out there and did it. And, and that was the story. It's so good, you know, and that's often um, where the real stuff comes from, like the really good, juicy stuff comes from when we just be vulnerable mm -hmm. and just let it out. I was watching a talk by Brene Brown the other day and she said one of her major talks in her life was just getting up on stage and she said preaches vulnerability and she said, how I go and it was one of the most popular talks that she's ever done. Mm -hmm. Speaking of, uh, speaking of, you know, superstar speakers, you, this is what's on your website, Mr. Cornell Thomas. <laughs> The renowned Tony Robbins said of you, Cornell Thomas is an up and coming thought leader that will inspire you to not only do more, but be more. That is massive, our friend. What happened? How did this occur? Yeah, 
Uh, that's a that's a crazy story. We don't have a crazy amount of time to say it, but I will do it very quick. Uh, when I went to that event in 2015, that I went to the event because someone said that Tony Robbins was the best speaker in the world, and I'm like ultra competitive. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't care who this guy is. See, I, he's not a better speaker than I am. Like, like, like literally, <laughs> bring it on. Yeah. And so, so I went, I went to the event, and you know, I messaged him afterwards. I said, "Hey," because he was following me on Twitter, because I, I would send him a quote every day, and he started retweeting my quotes every like couple, oh, wow. you know, weeks. He retweet a quote. You were so stalker said, like us. Yeah, well, I didn't stalk him. I just sent him a quote. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you're, you're same, on a different same. level. You're on a yeah, different yeah, level. Yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah. um, it's on our so, resume. Yeah, so he messaged me. I messaged him and I said, hey, I went to your event. And I told him why I went to his event. I was being honest. I said, but I got a lot much, a lot more out of it. I would love for you to write the forward to my next book. And he goes, Cornell, it'd be my pleasure. And wow. it, it took a year for all this stuff to transpire. Like that's, a again, like, another day I will tell you that story but it took a year for all that to transpire but uh then he ended up writing this, that beautiful endorsement and that was that wow what unbelievable well, you just made you. some yeah you've made some incredible things happen in oh. the world and we can't wait to get to the positivity summit 23rd and 24th of October which means in Australian time that will be one day, day earlier after. day after yes the earlier earlier one day earlier and so all of the information you can get <laughs> you can get on cornell-thomas.com and thank you so much for letting us have a ticket to give to one of our very special listeners i'm sure that their world will be changed like ours has been and thank you so much for joining us today we love what you're putting out into the world it's made us feel more positive already cornell you thomas you guys are amazing thank you so much you guys, you. Are, you guys are the best i appreciate uh, it you're brilliant. Thank you for listening to the Sunday Sasha for Real Show. You're on Brimbank Live on LiveFM. Sonia and Sasha for Real. Oh, we're so grateful that you're listening to the Sonia and Sasha for Real Show on Brimbank Live on Live FM. And next we have a really interesting guest, and it's something that we all should know about and we probably don't know a lot about. Uh, but it is hepatitis and we have, there's a few different kinds, something pretty exciting has happened in the hepatitis world in the, in, in the last couple of months. And we've got the world's best expert yes. to tell us about this. Sasha, who have we got? We have the health promotions program manager, manager of Hepatitis Victoria. We have got Martin Forrest. Can we give him a big round of applause yes. for Martin who's going to teach show. us all about hepatitis? Martin, <laughs> Thank you. Thank Martin, you. You know, I've had the injections, okay? I've had A and B, I think. Great. So, and I think I just had it because I went overseas and, and that was what I was supposed to do. But I didn't actually really know why I was even getting them mm. and what was going to go wrong if I didn't get them. And now since where you've come into our lives, I've been, you know, obsessed <laughs> in hepatitis and not catching it. So can yeah. you please, well, firstly, can you actually tell us what hepatitis, what is it? Because it's an alphabet. Well, yeah, yeah, there is an alphabet of hepatitis, but hepatitis is really just the word that means inflamed liver. That's all it means. I think it comes from Greek or Latin or something like that. From the Greek. But hepatitis, we talk, we're, we're really just concerned about viral hepatitis. So just as COVID is a virus that people pass around between each other, viral hepatitis, there's, there's a whole lot of different types. There's hepatitis A, B, C, D, E, you know, an alphabet there. Um, but it's hepatitis B and C are the ones that are the real problem in Australia. Um, 
And so Hepatitis Victoria, we're a not-for-profit organisation. We do a lot of sort of awareness raising, trying to get people to pay a bit more attention to it because there's a lot of mortality associated with viral hepatitis. And every state and territory across Australia has got an organisation that does similar work. So, okay, um, you can get an you can get a vaccination against A and B. Is that correct? That's probably mm. what we've had. What? Tell me about this C. Like, how do I protect myself from this C thing? What's this new C? Well, thing? hepatitis C. Yeah, there's no vaccine for hepatitis C, but there's these how amazing cures. Oh, you catch it? Well, this this is the odd thing. It's blood-to-blood -blood transmission, you know. So someone else's blood has got to get into your body. And you think, oh, that's pretty unlikely to happen. You know, why would I be worried about that? The same is true of hepatitis B. That's transmitted blood-to-blood. -blood. But there's half a million people in Australia who are living with viral hepatitis. So things yeah. like sharing injecting equipment, getting a tattoo where the equipment's not sterile, body piercings. And it wasn't that long ago that they couldn't recognise it at the blood bank. And so a lot of people got it from medical procedures, like so women who were giving birth and haemophiliacs. And even today, if you go overseas and you get some sort of medical procedure, there's still a good chance you'll come away with viral hepatitis. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I so, so, okay. I think probably one of the most, these things that when I mean, we work with a lot of young people and people go off and get tattoos and people will, you know, especially, mm -hmm. you know, you'll get drunk and, or you might go to Bali or something and you'll get a tattoo. Um, so yeah. we really yeah. want, and that this is like really healthy young people that are going out and getting tattoos or, you know, getting your oh, um, it's just piercings. Phenomenal. Like it's so common. Yeah. How do you protect and, and yourself against that? Look, you've really, if you're going off to get a tattoo, my advice is talk to the tattoo artist and say, what's your infection control processes here? Like, how do you guarantee that I, because it's not just viral hepatitis you could catch, you could catch HIV, you could get staphylococcus and all sorts of infections. So you want to know that they're using sterile equipment or it's disposable equipment that they use once and then discard, or they've got something to sterilize it there. And that's really important because it, like if they reuse it, you can look at it and think, oh, that's clean. There's no blood on there. But a virus mm. is like minuscule. There's no way. And you only need one of these things to get into your body and the whole process kicks off, you know. So if you're going to a tattoo, say, well, what's your infection control procedures? If they don't want to answer that question, go and find another tattooist, you know. And mm. reputable tattoo parlours are registered with their local council and so they'll be inspected and they'll know all about it. But the problem we find nowadays is you can buy a tattoo gun on eBay for, you know, 20 bucks or something like that. And as wow. you say, kids will have a party, invite their mates around, they'll practice a bit on each other. And that's the perfect for scenario for transmission of either hepatitis B or hepatitis C. Do you know what? It seems like right now yeah. would be the time to be really pumping up this kind of, um, you know, awareness campaign because once our restrictions are lifted and we can travel mm. and our young people who've missed out on schoolies week and 18th birthdays and all that sort of thing will head to places like Bali and, you know, and it will be yeah. like they're living with we no tomorrow kind everywhere. of thing. You know, yeah. 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 just to remind themselves, no pandemics. Yeah. yeah, and and like the part of our problem we have is that people just aren't aware of these issues, you know. Mm. It's um, 
some parts of the community are aware of it because hepatitis B affects sort of various parts of, you know, like migrants and immigrants and refugees are disproportionately impacted by hepatitis B. So they probably got some family history where someone died because of liver disease and they, you know, might go off and get tested and things like that. But, yeah. you know, for, for people living in the suburbs, there is so much taboo about talking about this. There's stigma and discrimination. And, um, you know, even a lot of doctors don't like to, to have that conversation with their clients. So, it's you know, it's, it's about raising awareness of it and um, trying to bring those numbers down. It's actually really interesting Something. that you said about the young people and, and tattoo guns because I just was um, at a school early on in the year when I was allowed to go the, to the schools and, <laughs> yeah. um, and a young person actually said to me she was ex, um, was expelled from school from bringing a tattoo gun to school and they were all doing tattoos on each other and mm. um, and we had this conversation and I really... I, I probably until this exact moment till you said something, Martin, I didn't put too much of it. I thought, oh, well, you know, like teenagers do stupid things if she wants to do that, you know. But now that you've said that, it just blew, mm. blows my mind because the last thing that I would want is my teenager going to school and getting this tattoo that they would um, and then not yeah. only would they regret but then coming along with an illness. That well, that's right, yeah. And, and the problem with that is that you might not get any immediate symptoms. So you might go and, you know, get a tattoo with your mates and things like that. And for most people, there'll be no symptoms at all. And it can take 10, 20 years before your liver really comes under stress from the virus. So, you know, you'll be thinking, oh, I'm fine. You go off, you start a family and do all that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden you start getting this ache in your sort of your side and you're feeling a bit off colour. And, you know, the symptoms can be mild when they first start, but um, after a while, it will lead to liver cancer. And once you get that, that end stage progression of the disease is really rapid. So you can go for 20 years with no symptoms. And then within six months, you'll be living with liver cancer and, you know, your prognosis is not good. So it's a very deceptive virus. And that's one of the reasons why the numbers in Australia are so high because people aren't aware that they've got it. So they think it's okay to sort of share their tattoo gun or get their ears pierced or, you know, when we were kids, we used to be blood brothers, you know, where you'd cut yeah. your thumb and rub it on each other and yeah. things like that. Um, but, you know, it, it, there's just so many problems with that sort of stuff, you know. Oh. And as I say, half a million people in Australia living with viral hepatitis that's a, you know, it's an epidemic. Oh, that's, that's incredible. Um, I just just want to, I've heard the term um, a carrier of hepatitis. What's that? Oh, look, look that's a bit of a, a it's fallen out of favour because people, that used to be talked about in terms of people who have got hepatitis B. And the reality is you've either got hepatitis B or you don't have it, you know, but uh sort of years ago, people used to say, oh, well, I'm a carrier. And that implied that there were going to be no consequences for them, you know. But if you're living with chronic hepatitis B, up to about a quarter of people who have got hepatitis B, if they're not managed by their doctor, will get liver cancer within about, you know, 20 years or so. So it's wow. a term we really discourage using nowadays because if you've got hepatitis B, you want to be man managed by a clinician because 
that transition from being healthy to having you know serious liver disease happens quite quickly so people who have got hepatitis b should go off every 12 months and get a scan of their liver and that's non-invasive you know it's just they rub a probe over your skin and things like that um, but you're living with, if you're living with hepatitis B, you've got to be very careful because it's also a sexually transmitted infection. So you can pass it to your partner and women pass it to their children during childbirth. So you, you want to be very aware if you have it. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank so you so much, much for your information, Martin. Mm. Um, just before, just quickly before we go, something pretty exciting's happened in, the, in your world. We have a Nobel Prize um, in yes. Australia. Tell yeah. us about that. Before we... Oh, look, this is just fabulous news because, as I say, it was probably about 1990 that they identified the hep C virus and that meant the blood bank could exclude it and things like that. And so these people who have discovered it will save so many lives. I just want to end on a positive note, though. We've got vaccination yeah. for hepatitis B so we can stop people catching it. So make, if, make sure you've been vaccinated and a simple blood test will tell you if you have been or not. We've got mm -hmm. these amazing cures for hepatitis C now where you take a tablet a day for about eight weeks and you can cure yourself of it. So the World Health Organization, the Australian government and governments around the world said, let's try and eliminate this disease by 2030. So wow. there's some good news there. We think we can um, prevent the suffering that goes with these conditions. Oh, That's wow. incredible work. That's fantastic. That is really good. It's going to get my obsession now from watching everything about it. I'm going to go off and eat some broccoli. Sonia, you get your <laughs> going because that's what's going to rejuvenate our liver. Uh, Martin, thank you so, so much. It's been absolutely fascinating because there's so much stuff out there to learn and um, you've really taught us lots about hepatitis. Thank you so much. Oh, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show. And you can get some more information. .org.au. Have the best week, everyone. You've been Thank listening you. to the Sonia and Sasha for Real Show, Brimbank Live on Live FM. We'll see you next week. Sonia and Sasha for Real.